Good morning, family. Um, those of you who um, don't know me, my name is Mark, and but everyone here should know me by now. Been here for a good couple of years. Um, and um, this, you know, this morning before we get started, can we have the live team that's um, on duty for the offering please come up? Um, I just want to remind you that the church doesn't take money for the sake of taking money. It's providing an opportunity for you to convert temporary things into eternal things. It's temporary things that you can convert into eternal things. No one here should feel coerced or manipulated, okay? Because you should give out of a joyful heart. Because God loves a cheerful giver, not a grumpy one. Amen? So it should be part of your worship to God, where you say, Lord, thank you for blessing me. I want to honor your work and I want to see your work continue. And so this is why I'm sowing into it. So Father, I just bless everyone in the house, those who can and can't give. I bless them so that everyone can give abundantly in Jesus' name. Let the floodgates of heaven open up above them and that there be no hindrance in their lives financially in Jesus' name. Amen. Please go ahead, guys. And then... Um, do we have any visitors here today? Can I see if there's anybody here that hasn't been here before? Please put up your hand. Don't worry, we're not going to do anything strange. Okay, one, two, anybody else? Three. Okay, um, those of you who've got those um, papers for visitors, can visitors just keep your hands up because we're going to give you a free cappuccino. So um, keep your hand up so that someone can get a piece of paper to you. Um, that way she's coming. She's on her way. Keep your hand up. And um, you'll get a free cappuccino. And then please, as you can see, we've got this really dark spot on the right here. It's called the infamous couch of wisdom. And please join us there with your cappuccino as we will talk to you about who we are and get to know you a little bit better because we value you and we love you and we thank you for visiting here this Sunday. Amen. And yes, we, we are a family, so we care about the people who come here. Amen. We should care about the people who come here. Isn't that right? And so we care about the people who come here. And that's why we make an effort to communicate with you. And to get to know you. Because you are God's people. If you are here, God has brought you here. Jesus said, no one can come unto me unless the Father lets them come. So if you got here, well, you've, you've entered through phase one. <laughs> you got here. Amen. And this might be your home, and we would like to make sure that we give you the opportunity to get to know us better and to see whether this is really going to be a place where you can thrive and grow. Um, can I just quickly see how many of you in the audience are currently serving in the church? Can you put your hand up for me? You're currently serving. Okay. Please put your hands down. Okay. So everyone else, can you put your hands up, please? Everyone who's not serving in the church, put your hands up. I want to see them. You should be proud of it if you're not doing something here. All right. All of you are available. Amen. You are all available. Say, I'm available. Say it. I want to hear you. I'm available. Yes, I'm available. Yeah? That means that, that normally in churches, 10% of the people carry 100% of the burden. Is that right? Should, we, should that be the norm? No. We should all be there for one another and we should all carry one another's burdens. And at the same time, we should also carry our own to the degree that we don't put a burden further on the community. Am I right? 
Does that make sense? Okay. So every single person who had their hands up in round two, you are eligible. You are eligible. Listen, I have qualified you for service in this church. You are eligible. Which means, if you want to get involved, whether it be in greeting people, in helping in the coffee shop, helping serve on the tables, helping serve in the children's church, helping serve anywhere in the, in the church itself, I want you to please see that lady with the blue dress. Do you see her there? That's my beautiful, gorgeous, amazing wife. Okay? So you will see her, and she will take your name down, and you will say where you want to serve, and then we will help you get into um, service. Now, that doesn't mean you'll serve every single Sunday, but at least you'll get an opportunity, the grand prize of maybe once a month or twice a month, depending on how available you are. Amen? Is everyone excited about that? Are you happy I did that? Yes, hallelujah. So if you're visiting, please understand that was a little bit of housekeeping, okay? All right, it's part of housekeeping. We've got to make sure that we, we vocalize that we want people to be involved because sometimes people think, that, oh, all the positions are filled. There's nothing really for me to do here. This is not how this family operates. Amen. There are always dishes to wash. We can always find somebody. Amen. Uh, there are not so many amens in the Presbyterian church. All right. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the second part of what I talked about on Friday. How many of you were here on Friday? Can I see? Just get a quick glimpse. Okay. Did you enjoy the message? Okay, so I hope you understood from Friday that what I was talking about was the atonement of um, basically what the Israelites used to do every year as they used to have uh, the ceremony of atonement, which was to take the sins of the nation and basically every person's sin away. And so for a whole year, they were covered. Okay, they were covered. Now, how, do you, how many of you know that um, if you cover something, Let's say, for example, we, we cover this. You can't really see the bottle. Am I right? So it's covered. But is the bottle still there? All right. So it's important to understand that just because something is covered doesn't mean it's done away with. So if something is covered. So the word atonement means to cover over. It does not mean to deal with. That's why... When the prophetic word comes out of, the, out of John the Baptist's mouth, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Lamb of God, not a Lamb. A Lamb was only able to cover. The Lamb was able to take it away. This is where you get up and you shout. You say, Jesus, yes! Because he didn't just say, okay, I'll just sweep it under the rug. He said, no, I'm going to legally and legitimately deal with it to where it's no longer your problem. And the courtroom of God will say, not guilty. Do you understand this? The only reason you feel guilt today is because you don't know that God has already forgiven you. Now, does that supposed to mean that you should just go and ruin your life with sin? No, because sin has its own consequence. Am I right? Okay, so I want you to understand, those who might not yet know, that the cross has got two lines, right? It's a horizontal and a vertical line. Am I right? Are you guys with me? Horizontal and vertical. 
That means that the vertical line basically it, it signifies our relationship with one another. Yeah? With us. Between us. Right? Now, if my relationship horizontally with God is messed up, the chances of my vertical relationships being good is null to zero. Isn't that right? And the reason for that is because how I see God and how God treats me, how I perceive that He treats me, is going to end up being how I treat other people. So if I believe God is very legalistic, if I believe that He's very judgmental, that He's always looking for a reason to find fault with me, I'm going to be like that with other people. Because how I believe God treats me is how I end up treating other people. So in order for you to change the horizontal, you have to have a correct understanding of the vertical. Now, this vertical relationship was literally destroyed because legally, under the Old Testament, Adam had brought all of mankind and everyone who participated under sin. And so the sin that we were under brought upon us judgment. And this judgment is what brought guilt and shame to us. And this guilt and shame caused us to hide from God. Notice, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve hid themselves from God, but God did not hide Himself from them. Uh, you get the difference. God did not hide Himself from us. We hid ourselves from Him. And so God knew the only way it could be possible for us to no longer hide ourselves from Him was if there was a way for our sins to be dealt with so that the guilt and shame could be removed so that we could stand before Him justified. Is this making sense? And that allowed us to then enter into a relationship with God which was different to the type of relationship that Adam had. Okay? The type of relationship Adam had after the fall with God was one of a kind of shameful situation where he had fallen out of his original position and he was living substandard to what he was created for. And so he was constantly at a disadvantage with his relationship with God because his sin counted against him. Does this make sense to you? Throughout the ages, as men went ahead, the Bible tells us that everyone ended up participating in this, and so everyone became subject to the power of sin, and we're going to deal with exactly what that was, because we can talk about um, the sins everyone goes on about, you know, adultery, fornication, smoking, drinking, drug use, all this stuff. You can go on and on and on about it, but the reality is the person that's in it is trapped. What seemed alluring and nice in the beginning ends up becoming an all-consuming trap. We call it, Tamlin and I have spoken about this many times, we call it rat poison. You know, rats don't eat rat poison because it's poison. They eat it because they think it's food. You've got to listen very carefully to what I'm saying there. They don't eat rat poison because it's poison. If they knew it was poison, do you think they'd eat it? 
So they eat it because they think it's food. But you see, rat poison is about 90% food. So don't think deception has to be 100% deception. It can be 10% deception. Enough to make you step just this much out of the will of God, then that much out of the will of God. And before you know it, you're so far away from the will of God that your sin tries to deceive you into thinking that God is too far away from you. And when you buy that lie, you cut yourself off from what we know as the power of the cross. God is never far away from you. No matter how far you think you're gone, God has never abandoned you. He's always stood there like the father waiting for his son to come home. God is a good father. Amen? Alright, so we're going to start off. This is titled Jesus the King. How many of you like that title? Jesus the King. Hallelujah. Because what we did um, on Friday was we spoke about the lamb, right? But Jesus comes back as what we call the roaring lion. Because there's this thing about the lion and the lamb. The lion of Judah and the lamb that was slain. So we can see that there's this, there's this suffering servant. This is the lamb that goes and is slain for, our, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the healing of our bodies. And then there is the resurrection is where the lion is, is, is kind of born and the victory of the cross is displayed. Amen? Okay. So I'm going to just go through a couple of verses. We're going to go through Hebrews 9. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there, but I'm sure it will come up on this side if you guys can see. Um, if not, then make sure you use your other devices and things. Amen. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. If you have a Bible and a pen, underline eternal redemption. Eternal redemption is not talking about temporary redemption. It's not talking about a redemption that is available for a particular period of time, like a dispensation. It is eternal if God is eternal, he is not only he doesn't only exist within dispensational time frames. Grace is not temporary. Grace is forever. Woo. Hallelujah. Grace is forever. It's not just this time, it's forever. Why? Because forever our trust is in him. Amen. So it says he secured an eternal Redemption. So what's the difference between redemption and atonement? Because atonement is the picture we see of where sin is covered over in the Old Testament. And we know that from the picture of atonement, we can go back and we can see that Jesus has borne our sicknesses and our diseases, that He's carried upon Himself our sins and our iniquities. So we know that the, the, the picture of the Lamb is there. Am I right? But what is this redemption that he secures eternally? Well, this redemption, the word redemption that's used 
here and in Romans, and I'm going to mention it a couple of times, is basically a term that was used in the slave trade. Okay? When someone was sold into slavery, um, to redeem them, you'd have to buy them at a price so high that no one could ever sell them into slavery again because the price was ridiculous. So if all slaves, maximum healthy, strong slaves are worth, let's just say, 250,000 rand, but you buy someone at 10 million rand, right? Then no one's going to buy that person because now they've been bought at a price that's way too high. Does it make sense? And so you were bought at a price that was infinitely so high that no one could ever sell you into slavery again. You see, because God was willing to pay one Jesus for you. Now, I mean, if you had to ask yourself, how much is my son or my daughter worth? You'd say priceless. How much more the son of the living God, priceless in value, God was willing to use his life to literally ransom you and redeem you so that you could be free and be free from ever being sold into slavery again. And it's eternal, people. It's forever. The word eternal means forever. Not for some time. Forever. If I'm preaching the gospel too hard, just go, yeah, Jesus. Amen? For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So, in the Old Testament, the blood of these calves and goats could not purify the conscience of the worshiper. If they had, they would not have to do these sacrifices year after year after year. But for us, we have an eternal redemption where our high priest is not only the high priest, but he's also the high sacrifice. Not only is he the one who cuts a new covenant, he's the one who fulfills the old covenant. He's the one who dies and brings the inheritance of the old covenant into the new covenant that he establishes with us. He is, the, he is the literal custodian of the will of the one who is righteous that dies and passes the righteousness, the inheritance of that righteousness to those who are in covenant with Him. He is literally the central focus of everything in the Word of God. You can trace every story, every single thing in the Bible across thousands of years to the central figure called Jesus Christ who fulfills everything and yet He is not everything. He is only a door to everything. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes into a relationship with the Father except through me. There is no relationship with God if you're not going through the door called Jesus. And if you think you have a relationship with a God, you're either deceived or you're confused 
if you're not going through Jesus. And there are many pretenders out there. There are many devils and demons who would like to be your God. So don't think it's not out there. The lies are out there. The true and living God is still the true and living God. So Jesus has, in, has secured for us an eternal salvation. Amen? With His own blood. Now what I find fascinating is if you read more um, in this Hebrew text, you'll find that Jesus had to go and sanctify the tabernacle that's in heaven. Because you know Moses made a tabernacle after the pattern of the one that was in heaven on the earth. And so when he makes this one on the earth, they're constantly putting blood on the mercy seat, on the ark, etc. I'm sure those of you who are familiar with what I'm talking about understand. But there he goes, he has to go into the heavenly places, and there Jesus is actually purifying the heavenly places with his blood. Now, how would it be possible that there would be a need for there to be purification of things in heaven? And I need you to listen to what I'm saying. Because remember, Jesus takes on the mantle of, uh, on his life of being the high priest for us, according to the order of Melchizedek. So he ends up being a priest forever, making our case before the Lord, and not only being the sacrifice, but being the one who fights for you in heaven. But before he was in charge... There was someone else in charge in the position that he now stands in as the advocate. And that position was basically usurped from Adam. And that one was called the accuser. Are you hearing me? And the accuser would come into heaven and he would accuse mankind before God so that God would have to act against man so that he could go, this accuser could then go and accuse God to man. So that man would be running away from God and God would have to keep punishing man so that there would be a division between God and man. Because he wants division between you and the one who made you because the one who made you is where your help comes from. Are you hearing me? So when you realize that his main mission is always divide and conquer, we can see it even today. There are clever people who have learned that the devil's strategies work very well. So if you're not separated on vaccines, then we're separated on color. If we're not separated on color, then we're separated on gender. If you're not separated on gender, then we're separated on ideology. If you're not separated on ideology, then we're separated on what kind of shoes we like. And the more that he can keep everyone separated and fighting amongst themselves, the less they are aware of the obvious. That the enemy is pulling a fast one behind the scenes. And only when it's done and over, do you finally wake up and go, yo, how did that happen? And we need to pay attention, people. Because Jesus has made one new mankind. There is neither Jew nor Greek Male nor female, there is one new man in Christ Jesus. He has destroyed the wall of hostility between God and man and declared peace 
between us and God. You see, this Resurrection Sunday is about God declaring peace between us and Him. Because the price has forever been paid. And even the places in heaven that were once tainted by the accuser have been purified and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that amazing? So Romans 3, 23-25 says the following. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So how do we get this justification? We get it by faith, isn't that right? In what Jesus has done. Okay, so if Jesus basically took upon Him the sins of the world, then all the sins are dealt with. Am I right? So we could imagine that Jesus is like the ark. And if you enter into the ark, then when the rain comes, you're covered. Am I right? And so if you don't enter the ark, what happens? So that means that those who reject Jesus will remain under condemnation. But those who receive Jesus, enter into Him. He says, whoever believes in me, whoever enters into me, whoever possesses me. Are you with me? He will be saved and he will have eternal life. This is an important thing that we need to understand. Because when we realize that Jesus comes as the ark of God to rescue us from the wrath to come, it's because he's already taken the wrath of God upon him for our sake. But those who have rejected what Jesus has done and have not received him are vulnerable to all the controls of the enemy, to all the influences of the enemy, and to the destruction of their bodies and the internal, eternal damnation. Even though Jesus has died for all, not all have received Jesus. I can make something available to everyone, but not everyone get it. That doesn't mean on my side I didn't make it available to everybody. It just means that everyone didn't participate in getting it. Am I right? So we need to keep this intention because there are people out there, as you know, who think that everything is automatic. It's not automatic. If it was, we wouldn't be living in the world we're living in. How many of you agree with this statement? Right? Bad things happen because good people do nothing. How many of you agree with that statement? Let me see your hand. At least seven of you. Ten. Anybody else? Because good things, right? Good people need to do good things in order for good things to happen. And if you don't stand up for what is right, then what is wrong will be the status quo. Jesus proved it to us, didn't he? When Jesus stood up to the powers that were, he ended up changing things around. Okay, so it says in verse 25, God put him forward, Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. How many of you know what the, know, what the word propitiation means? How many times do we read this word in the Bible? Propitiation. The word propitiation means to make a payment to appease a God's wrath. Jesus became the payment that appeased the anger of God. Jesus was the propitiation. 
But God himself, now remember, God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so collectively they decided to do this together. Jesus wasn't fighting against God. God wasn't fighting against Jesus. They were in full agreement. That's why the Bible says the Father was in the Son, or God was in Christ on the cross. Does that make sense? There was no battle. It wasn't one against the other. They had agreed before the foundations of the earth that this sacrifice would be needed, and they did it because they loved you. Otherwise, you'd have no hope. Okay? He says, God put forward him as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, the word forbearance means to forbear or withhold. So if you're in estates or doing any kind of rentals, you know what forbear means. In other words, you're not going to collect rent this month, you'll forbear it for one month, but then you have to collect two months rent the next month, right? And you can forbear the rent as much as you want. So God had forbore his punishment on sin in the Old Testament at many times because he knew that he would then be putting it on himself in the flesh on that cross. So when God, when people make sacrifices of bulls and goats as a shadow of what God is going to do, that's only a sign of what God is going to do. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sins of the world, could never forgive your sins, but because of what Jesus was going to do, it was a shadow, and by faith they were able to apply that to a future event that Jesus came to fulfill. Yay! Hallelujah! You can see how much was hinging on Jesus' decision in the garden when he said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Why was he saying, saying I'm, I'm going to keep submitted to the will that we decided together. My flesh is screaming, no. Wouldn't you be? You, I mean, it's going to be worse, man. You saw how it was worse. And, and, and there Jesus is thinking, yo, if this cup can pass me, God, please. But if not, not my will, your will be done. Listen, this is not the prayer you pray every day. This is the prayer you pray in tribulation. Amen. This is a, there are other prayers. There are prayers of faith. This is a prayer of help. Am I right? And, and what happens? While Jesus is praying, the, the angels come and they minister to him, right? And then he goes and he speaks to his disciples and they're half asleep. And he says, what, can't you even pray for an hour? What's wrong with you people? Go read it. I'm not making this stuff up. So he says, before, because of his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Therefore, um, hold on. Yes. Where am I now? Is this correct? Yeah. He had passed over former sins. So in Romans 5, verse 12 to 14, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So where did death come from? From sin. When God created the earth in, 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 the, in the Garden of Eden, did He say, and let there be death? No. He said to Adam, in the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. So what happened? That day, Adam let death in. Isn't that right? 
So death didn't exist. It wasn't part of God's plan. It's not the circle of life. Bogus nonsense, new age nonsense. That's what it is. It was never God's plan. Go read uh, um, Ezekiel 18. He says, it's not my will that one should repent and live rather than die and be punished. God takes no pleasure in even the punishment of the wicked. We take pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. All of you, don't look at me like that. You've watched Marvel movies. I know you. Every time the bad guy gets it, yes, give it to him some more. God takes no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. Yo, we, we need to start getting a better picture of who God is. Amen? I hope that you guys are following where I'm going this morning because what I'm trying to help you understand is that everything Jesus accomplished, right, was to, was to literally give you something back so that you could walk in it. He didn't give it to you so that you could go, okay, well, now I got it. Toodle do. Amen? He gave it to you so that you could be an agent of change in this world, just like him. Now, I mean, think about it. What have you really got to lose? Your life? No, I thought you lost that when you got saved. You went very quiet all of a sudden, eh? I thought you decided to give up your life when you gave your life to Jesus. What does it mean to give your life to Jesus? Yeah, Jesus, this is now not my life. And then we, we turn on the radio and we, and we start singing that song. It's my life. It's now or never. <laughs> Isn't that right? And the decision comes to be, do we go, God, okay, what should I do here? Like, no, 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 I know what to do. Yeah, this is mine. I know what to do. Guys, Jesus can't be your king and your savior, and he doesn't he doesn't ever get to speak into your life. He, he, you can't be making your own plans at the expense of God's plans. You should be making plans based on God's plans. It's not about your future, it's about his future. Because the only way you have a future is if you're with Him. You know why they call it history? Because it's His story. Not yours. Yo, that was fasting. So who allowed sin to come into the world? It was Adam. It was not God. God didn't intend for sin to come into the world. God didn't want sin in the world. But Adam brought sin into the world. And so Adam condemned the human race. Jesus said, I did not come to the world to condemn it, for it was already condemned. Oh, who condemned it? Adam. So stop blaming God for all the suffering in this world. The suffering in this world came as a result of Adam and Eve succumbing to temptation and allowing a broken being full of fear and anger and bitterness to come into a position of power and keep man hostage. And God sent a divine SWAT team to rescue us from the hostage situation. And his name was Jesus. Does it make sense? So we know that sin wasn't in the world before Adam 
allowed it to come in. And when we look at Romans, we find that the word sin is identified as a person, place, or thing. It's not identified as a verb. And most people, they, when they focus on sin, they focus on sin as a verb, as an action rather than a position. But it's closer to a person. Because there is a person who identifies, who embodies sin. How many of you know who he is? I'm not pointing any fingers. Amen? But you all know that weakling I'm talking about. So maybe we should stop letting him speak into our lives. And I mean, the best weapon against the devil, right, is that everything he tells you, you do the exact opposite. Right? So if he says you're useless, you say, man, thank you, Jesus, I'm useful. If he says, I mean, you just, you know, your sin is always getting the better of you. Say, Father, I thank you, you've set me free from sin. If every time, whatever lie he gives you, you flip it and you thank God for what he's done for you, the devil is now working for you. Oh, did you get what I just said? Everyone on that side, they're like looking at me like, what is he on about? You can flip the script. Just because you have voices in your head doesn't mean you have to listen to them. Once, I think it was my mother who once told me, the birds can fly over your head, but just don't let them make a nest. Isn't that right? We all know that saying, Amen. And so, even so, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. I don't have time to get into that, but that's another story altogether. So, I want you to understand from this is that there was an origin, and I mentioned this on Friday. The origin was in the garden, a, a physical act of eating, so that, that act of eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, right, triggered a spiritual death. Are you with me? And that spiritual death disconnected us from the life force of God. To where we were now just these bottles of life, right? And I don't know about you, but have you noticed that dams get polluted a lot quicker than rivers? Yeah? A dam can get polluted a lot quicker than a river. I mean, if you want to drink water, they'll say, drink from a running stream, not from a stationary body. Yeah? Which is why when you become stagnant in your Christianity, you're becoming a dam. And you spell it A-D-A-M. And they're right. You see, because Adam was a living soul, but Jesus was a life-giving spirit. So there's something that happened in the death, burial, and resurrection an ascension that brought something to us that allowed us to be reconnected again. Amen? Are you, are you guys okay? Is everyone okay? Alright. I really want to finish this, so if um, any of you feel tired, please feel free to leave. I won't be um, offended. Okay. See, you didn't notice the time went, right? 
Because are you interested in what I'm saying? That's the point. Okay. So in Galatians 3 verse 5 to 9, it says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, the Spirit to you, does he work miracles among you? Does he do so by the law? Or does he do so by the working, the, the hearing of faith? Which one was it? Faith, right? So the law could not produce the miracles. Only the hearing of faith can produce the miracles by what? By the Spirit. Am I correct? Okay? So we know that it's by the Spirit. Turn his in Galatians 3, 5-9, to the next one. Says, so, so know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. So this is an important component because we can't even receive this grace that, is, that Jesus has made available to us unless we understand that it's by faith. It's by faith. So what's the difference? Because we know that faith without action is dead. So if faith without action is dead, then why is it, what's the difference then between the law? Because the law basically insists that you do something. Well, the one is, the one is actually uh, motivated by obligation if you want something. The other one is motivated by thankfulness because you got something. The one is motivated by love. The other one is motivated by obligation to get something. This is a trade. This is a thankful heart. Does it make sense? So when you read the scripture and it makes a promise and you believe that promise, you can walk as if that promise is true. Because you know that you're thankful for the promise and you know the one who made the promise keeps his promise. Does it make sense? So often, when we doubt what God is going to do, it's because we allow the world around us to have a louder voice than He does. Which means that we need to have a bit more time hearing Him. Whether it be in His Word, alone time with Him, praying. I mean, I recommend praying in the Spirit as often as you can. It's the one thing you just can't overdo. If people say, Oh, you're, you're going nuts. You're praying in tongues too much. Say, the one thing I can never overdo. I can drink too much water, but I can't pray in tongues too much. Okay, only three of you are aiming me, so that's good. Right. Okay, so, by faith, Enoch, in Hebrews 11, 5-6, says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And yet, he was not found because God had taken him. Which means Enoch did not die. The seventh born from Adam. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God, whoever, is that you so ever, whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. These two things must be true. You must see God as real and you must know that He rewards. If you think He punishes, if you think He tests, if you think he controls you, if you think he's going to come against you, if you think he's got, if he's the antagonist, you're not in faith. You're only in faith if you know he's the rewarder. And you can only know that if you know that there's an enemy who wants to kill you 
and there's a God who has already made a way to save you. Amen? And so it's important that we understand this. In verse 10, Galatians 3, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So if you want to know how a Christian is cursed, it's when he goes back under the law. That's the only way a Christian gets cursed. It's also the only way that Balaam could get the children of Israel cursed. You'll read the story of Balaam and the donkey. You'll find out that they could not curse the children of Israel until they brought prostitutes into the camp and the Jews slept with these women and they weren't supposed to and so the law brought them under a curse. But all the time when this master um, guy who was cursing people and was working was going on the mountain speaking to God, God would always bless Israel. He would say, am I, am I a man that I would lie? I have blessed them and I will not curse them. And the kings were upset. The only time a Christian can be cursed is if he comes under the law. That means he begins to believe that there's a reason why these things are happening to him. Oh, I did this, that's why it's happening to me. That's the law. No, no, what you should be thinking is, I know God and He's with me no matter what's happening to me. Amen? Okay, watch. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Was Jesus a curse for us? For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what was the goal of this door being opened? Was so that through this open door, the Spirit of God that was once taken away, Genesis 6, my Spirit will not always abide with men for His only flesh. The New Testament, Jesus comes and makes a way for the Holy Spirit to be restored to us to where no longer does He have this ability to visit, but He has an ability to abide. And so he no longer is all about visiting rites. He wants habitation rites. But he's not a demon. He doesn't force you into doing things. He is a partner and a helper. So he helps you to understand things. So when you understand how God thinks, then you'll do what he wants to do because you agree with doing it because he's with you. Do you understand? He's not, he's not manipulating you. He's trying to help you grow up and understand the ways of God. Because when you know the ways of God, then whatever situation you face, you'll respond according to the ways of God. And if you respond according to the ways of God, then God responds with you. But if you do something against the will of God, is God going to be with you? No, of course not. Because God isn't here to do your will. He's, you're here to do His. Am I right? Okay, I'm almost done, guys. Romans 8, verse 9 to 11. <clears throat> you, however, that will be whoever the, the people are that they're talking to you. It will be you guys, right? You, you, however. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now let's just see. How many of you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Well, there's a lot of you that need to get saved this morning, it looks like. Because what he says here, he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So that means the whole world out there, everyone wants to call them God's children. They're not God's children. They're the children of man. And they need to be brought into the kingdom and become God's children. Isn't that right? So it's very clear here. He says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, but if Christ is in you, is Christ in you? Let me see your hands. Is Christ in you? Say, thank you, Jesus, you live in me. Okay, because if Christ is in you, then even though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Oh, man, we need to get very excited about this. See, because even though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. Life in Jesus' name. Am I right? There's this life that's in Christ that swallows up death. Death has no place, isn't it? It's this, this life of God is greater than the death that is out there. Jesus is bigger. He's king over more. Isn't that right? So watch. I mean, this is very important because verse 11 says, So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead then, if he dwells in you, does he dwell in you? Yes, he who raised Jesus from the dead, that would be the Spirit, right? Will also, will in the same way, in like manner, in the same way, right? What will he do? He will give life to your spiritual bodies. No, 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 no. He'll give life to what? Your mortal body. Do you have a mortal body? So what does he give life to? Your mortal body. Isn't that right? So where does life come from? Where does vitality and health and strength come from? Comes from the Spirit. Yo. It comes from the Spirit of God. Living in you. Okay, now, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to realize and Julian, if you can just come and play a song softly in the back here, it would be great. Where are you? Boom, Julian. Because I, I, want you to, I want you to understand something. There was a testimony of a woman who was um, constantly struggling with sickness. And she came to John Lake. And she told John Lake about the fact that she had gone up for prayer many, many times. And she had gotten um, prayer from many, many people. And she wasn't yet healed. And John Lake began to speak to her and asked her questions about what she believed, right? And she answered everything perfectly fine. It was like she knew exactly what was what. So he said to her, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about the problem area, whatever it is that's the, the problem area. And in your heart, I want you to begin to thank God, right? That His Spirit that lives in you is greater than the problem that's in your body. Okay? 
and begin to thank God that His Spirit isn't confound, not brought into a box in the center of your being, but that His Spirit can actually live in the entirety of your body. Okay? Even He can extend beyond your body. You can load your words with the Spirit. Have you guys noticed? My, my words are loaded. Yes. My words are Spirit and life because I believe that they're loaded. So, I want you to right now where you are, I mean, if, if, if you're not someone to participate in this, that's fine. But I really think this can value you as a person. Because at any moment, at any time, you can basically silence yourself and begin to thank God and release the Spirit into your body. Okay? So close your eyes to me. And just begin to go into an attitude of worship towards God. Now, Lord Jesus, what you did... It's so amazing. You have reigned victoriously. You have risen from the dead. And you're alive forevermore. And you have given us the greatest gift that we could ever have. You've given us your Spirit. Holy Spirit, even right now, in every single one of us, every person that has got trauma, that has got sickness, that has got any problem in their body or in their soul. Please, Spirit, I ask right now that you do your work. You're good at it. You do what you do. And I want you to just begin to thank the Holy Spirit for operating in you. And start to see a picture of Him actually going into the rest of your body. Of Him filling the rest of your body. Holy Spirit, thank you right now for more. Let it not only be filled, but let it be overflowing. Let Him flow. Let Him flow. Forget about all the things that come to your mind. Jesus is King. This is a time where you can sense His presence, where His presence and His very being begins to quicken and make alive your physical body to quicken and restore your heart. Even right now, where you are, He's busy dealing with you. He's busy regenerating those parts. Lord, we thank you for every single promise you've made. You said you save us from the pit. You restore our youth like the eagles. You forgive us of all our sins and you heal us of all our diseases. That every person in this community will know the resurrected power of the Son of God, that the Holy Spirit Himself is in them. There's power in your blood, Lord Jesus. To break every chain, come against every lie of the enemy to restore every heart Holy Ghost I know the Lord's heart for this morning was to bless his people let the Lord bless you don't question what's going on just let him bless you and him bless you. He's 
always been here. Turn the affections of your heart towards Him. Incline your ear to His voice. Let the Spirit of the Lord permeate your being. Let every molecule, every cell be filled with the Holy Ghost. Let the power of the Holy Spirit touch every part of you. There it is. There it is. Many of you are starting to sense it. You're sensing the Spirit of God moving in from the inside of you, out to the outside. John Lake did this with this woman. And the very same day, she was healed and she never got sick again. And what I just taught you to do, and you can stay there, don't, go, don't come out of it. Let the Lord work with you. Something you can do in the comfort of your own home. It's something you can do at work. It's something you can do in the toilet when you're taking a break from the pressures of life. It's something you can do at any moment because you are seated with Jesus on the throne. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. If you if you look up to your left, you see the smile of the Father. He is smiling down on you and He sees your destiny, your purpose, everything that is intended for you. He doesn't want you to sell yourself short. You underestimate your influence. You underestimate your voice. You underestimate the, in, the impact that you have with other people. Do not let the enemy rob you. You are loved and highly favored. I'm just going to pray for all of you right now as you're in this attitude of worship. And then I think Julian's probably going to play another song and we'll finish with worship this morning. Father, I pray what the Apostle Paul prayed for the churches. Pray that every single person here will come to a full revelation and understanding of the depths and the widths and the breadths of who they are in you, Lord Jesus. That there will be a revelation that it's no longer them that live, but it's you, you living your life through them. And that you are the life-giving Spirit that can flow in and through their lives. That everywhere they go, not only will they walk in divine health, but they will be a place where divine healing flows from. In your marketplace, with your family and your friends, you are the contact point between heaven and earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's worship Lord Jesus and thank Him for all that He's done.